Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We're just starting. We're getting out of the gate. This is Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon of Fox Across America. I'll be with you for the next three hours. And we got a great show lined up for you. We got Tudor Dixon, who is always entertaining. Best name ever, by the way. Next to Buck Sexton, I think Tudor Dixon. I don't know what it is about those sort of syllables going together. It's a cool name. If, if I had a third child, a daughter, I would name her Tudor. Because there's something so, you're probably going to be very popular if you have a name like Tudor type of thing. You know. Anyway, so Tudor Dixon's going to join us. And we're also going to have Madison Jessiato Gilbert. She is the RNC spokeswoman and married to a former Pittsburgh Steeler, which I was informed of today. So we're, we're going to talk to her about a whole bunch of stuff. And obviously we'll have our football picks for Wild Card Weekend. That is going to be a big deal. And I do that with Fox & Friends first co-host, Todd Pyro, and a host of others, so please do stick around. Your number, 888-788-9910, 888-788-9910. That is your toll-free number. Yes, they used to have these things called toll-free numbers, and otherwise, if you called a non-toll-free number, you got a bill at the end of the month. I'm, I'm explaining this to all the millennials out there and, and Gen Xs. You actually got a phone bill if you called outside of your area code, and in my case, I chalked up tons and tons of dollars. Unfortunately, my parents were the ones who were paying for it, Maybe not fortunately. I probably put, shouldn't put it that way, but it, it, it was it was a, a different time. That, that certainly is for sure. Anyway, let, let's get to the show here. Um, look, we witnessed last night, I think, a tale of three campaigns. And in the Trump town hall that was on Fox, Trump never looked this relaxed in quite some time. For a guy who has 91 felony counts against him, he really looked like he was completely in his element was Martha McCallum and, and Brett Baer, and just made it a contrast. And this is smart, and I've been advising this from afar on television for quite some time as a Fox News contributor. I'm also a columnist for The Messenger, by the way, that he should skip the whole go after DeSantis and Haley thing, right? Because you look at how far they're trailing in Iowa, for example, if we're just looking at the first caucus that happens in four days, where he has a 30 or 40 point lead. And I know that DeSantis has had a great ground game, and he's been to 99 counties. And quite frankly, I think Ron DeSantis has run a very solid campaign. I can't look at the last year since he's been running and say, hey, you know what? Actually, he started running, what, it was April or May, so let's call it eight months. Boy, that moment was like the Dukakis tank moment, right, in in 1988, where Dukakis had something like a 17-point lead on George H. W. Bush, and then... Out of nowhere, that lead disappeared because the caucus, because people thought that he was kind of like a Massachusetts wimp because he was governor of Massachusetts at the time. And he was kind of a short guy. And, well, he decides to take a picture of himself with a, a military helmet on his head, sticking his head out of a tank. And it was just so comical that at that point you're like, ah, yeah, no. And that was the end of it. So there are certain moments. I remember Al Gore was leading George W. Bush, not by much, but enough in 2000, and then he had this one debate where he kept saying lockbox over and over again as far as protecting Social Security, and you're like, boy, this guy's, it's almost like he's programmed, like he's a robot. There was no charisma whatsoever. So for Gore, things went south there. Then obviously 2016, pretty easy to find the moment that changed that particular election, and that's when Hillary Clinton decided to call all Trump supporters a basket of deplorables. Like, in other words, these people are horrible, and 
good people will only vote for me, right? In other words, she was talking like an elitist. And that's what had her lose states like Wisconsin, which she didn't campaign in, didn't even bother because she thought she had that locked up. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, the blue wall came crumbling down uh, because Hillary Clinton decided to make it an us versus them type of election in insulting all these people uh, that she thought she was above. I look at DeSantis, however, and I don't see any moment like that. And I hear, oh, boy, you know, he just hasn't run a very good campaign. I think he's been solid. I think if Donald Trump does not exist, that he probably is the front runner right now. Or uh, he is in a neck and neck race, as he is with Nikki Haley. The problem is the neck and neck race is for second place. Now, Chris Christie dropped out. And this is very interesting because Christie... I don't know why he ran in the first place. I'm from New Jersey. I was here when he was governor. I happen to think he was a very good governor. But by the end, particularly when he was photographed on a beach, we've all seen this picture. And there he is just lounging on this empty beach with his family. And the reason why the beach was empty is because he ordered all beaches closed. But then it became a rules for thee and not for me or Christie in this situation. And he just came across as, again, an elitist, right? And obviously closing that bridge, George Washington Bridge, uh, that, that didn't help matters either, a complete and total distraction. I thought it was blown up by the MSNBCs of the world. But for the most part, Christie was a pretty good governor. But by the time he left, because of the things I just listed, he was at 14% approval in this state. 14%. That's really hard to get to. So then you wonder, what the hell is he doing running for president in 2016 based on that approval number coming out of New Jersey? And then for whatever reason, here we are, eight years later, he running, he's running again. He's been irrelevant for all these years. He pops up on ABC once in a while. He bashes Trump. Okay, I guess that's good enough. And he runs. And his whole goal was just to win New Hampshire, which I don't quite get that. Like He basically skipped Iowa. But he was able to get a following there where he's pulling in about 12% of the vote. And why that's significant is because Haley, at this point, if you look at the average of polls, she's probably down anywhere from 10 to 14 points to Trump in New Hampshire. You take Christie away, and it's not like Christie voters are now going to go to Trump. They're probably going to go to Haley in New Hampshire. I'd say 80 90% of them. And if she could get most of that support, then she's right there with Trump. Now, again, one state doesn't win you the presidency, but... I could see a scenario, and, and people have told me this otherwise. Well, one guy wanted to bet me on this, as a matter of fact, which I found odd. A guy out of Las Vegas contacts me out of nowhere. He goes, I guarantee you that DeSantis will be there till the end. And, okay, fine, no problem. Uh, the number he put up, though, as far as what he wanted to bet was uh, out of my price range. We'll put it that way. But, look, I could see a scenario where if DeSantis vastly underperforms in Iowa, then he may drop out because his donors would be like, yeah, the spigot's off. No more. This was your chance. Much like Haley and Christie had put a lot of their eggs into the New Hampshire basket, DeSantis, by visiting all 99 counties in Iowa, put that into Iowa as far as he wants to do well there, and then maybe he gets some momentum going out. Certainly has a record to run on. I mean, you look at Florida. More people are moving to Florida out of places like California, Illinois, New York, than any other state in the country. They're going to Florida. Because Florida's crime's at a 50-year low. And Florida doesn't have any state income tax. Sean Henry literally just left New York to move to Florida. And you can imagine the money that he is saving as a result of doing that. And now we have jobs where you could do radio and television shows basically from anywhere. 
I'm doing it right now from a basement in New Jersey. Complete transparency, but it's true. And I'll be on TV later from my basement in New Jersey, and you would never know sitting at home. So smart move on Sean by going to Florida. Uh, but a lot of people are making that move. And, and Ron DeSantis and what he's done with that state, particularly on the education front, is nothing short of extraordinary. And if you ask me, do I want my country to resemble Florida or California, I'm pretty sure I go with Florida. Both have climate and both have coastline, uh, but that's about where the similarities end. So the bottom line is that DeSantis has to do well in Iowa. And if he doesn't, and if he drops out, I'm not saying he's going to endorse anybody necessarily, but if you make this a two-horse race between Haley and Trump, then I think she has a chance. Chance as in like 20% chance against an 80% chance for Trump because his Supporters are so loyal, and he really is seen as a martyr at this point with the weaponization of the justice system of really going after him and the Fannie Willis's of the world. I mean, how corrupt is this person? Hires her boyfriend, who wasn't even divorced yet when he became the boyfriend, pays him more than $600,000 to work this felony case against Trump, this RICO case, and the guy is an ambulance chaser. He's a personal injury attorney. And she's paying them $600,000. And, oh, by the way, they're going on vacation to places like Napa and Caribbean Cruises and ritzy hotels in Florida, using the money from Georgia taxpayers that she's paying him to work a case when he's never worked a case like that before. So people see this with Fannie Willis and Alvin Bragg in New York and Tish James in New York and Jack Smith, and they see these people all as political operatives and not serious prosecutors. And that's why it's so hard to bite into the Trump support because it's bigger than just about the issues where Haley, DeSantis, and Trump are basically on the same page outside of maybe Haley's a bit more pro-war, no, a lot more pro-war. But but I think that's where that's that's the only real break I see between the two. So in the end, it's Trump's game to lose, but Haley could win in New Hampshire. And if she does, then Trump can't say, oh, I'm not debating anybody because I have such a commanding lead. Why would I bother wasting my time? Well, if you get beat in a major contest like New Hampshire, then he's going to have to go on stage with her. And I'd be curious to see how things work out in that regard, because maybe I'm a little different from everybody else. But people think Trump is a great debater. And I think that against Biden, the first debate, he just completely lost his cool. He should have just allowed Biden to talk. And instead, he just constantly interrupted Proud Boys, standby, and all this stuff. It's like, what are you doing, man? You know, he's got to prep. So if he gets on a debate stage with Haley, and I'm not like, you know, exactly pro-Haley. If I had to choose between Haley and DeSantis, I, I would choose DeSantis. Uh, I, I wonder how that would go. And then I wonder how things would go in South Carolina, which is her home state. So, again, I'm not saying that Nikki Haley is going to win the nomination. What I'm saying is that she could win New Hampshire, and that puts her in a position to make it a two-horse race where, you know, stranger things have happened. Remember, when we were at this point in 2020, and I would go on Fox, and they would ask me to prognosticate the, the 2020 election, I said Donald Trump would win because he has two things going for him. We're going to break it down to very basic macro things, and that is we had peace and we had prosperity. And when you have those two things, it's very hard to get beat as an incumbent. Incumbent get beat because, like in George H.W. Bush's situation, uh, we had a recession. And Jimmy Carter, we had a recession. Our economy was humming along at that point. We didn't have troops over fighting foreign wars. We didn't have all these proxy wars going on. ISIS was decimated. North Korea was tamed. Things were going well. And you could say, well, Trump this and Trump that as far as his personality. He was going to win that race. So if you asked me in January of 2020, that's exactly what I would have said. And particularly, I, would, I wouldn't even have said that Joe Biden would have been the nominee that year because he finished fifth in Iowa and he finished fifth in New Hampshire. There seemed to be no path for him. He seemed confused when he was at 
debates and when he was campaigning. And then suddenly the, the seas parted. Buttigieg drops out. Elizabeth Warren drops out. Amy Klobuchar drops out. And then suddenly Joe Biden's your nominee. And then COVID completely engulfs the country, shuts down the economy. Everybody's miserable. And given those conditions, Joe Biden was able to eke out a very, very close win. Don't give me the 7 million votes he won the popular vote by. Popular vote means nothing. He won by 10,000 votes in Arizona, 12,000 in Georgia, and 20,000 in Wisconsin. Those go the other way. Donald Trump is still your president. And that's why I think that he's still the odds-on favorite Trump is, if he were to be the nominee, and if I think he will. If he goes against Biden, he's lost enough voters, Biden has, black voters, young voters, independent voters, Hispanic voters, where he's going to be in big trouble in those states. And again, he's the cottage cheese president. He's not a fine wine. He's not going to get better with age. And if you look at his public schedule over the last three days, it is nothing short of extraordinary, as an extraordinarily disturbing. He hasn't had one public meeting or event or anything on his schedule the last three days. What is wrong with the president? And again, he just came off something like 24 days of vacation. Camp David, then St. Croix, then Delaware. So it's not like he's not well-rested or anything like that. In the last three days, he's had one public event on his schedule. Let me, let me correct myself. It was lunch with the vice president. And that's it. You think that's a problem? It's a big, big problem. Anyway, here's Chris Christie, by the way, last night. He was caught on a hot mic, which I call BS. No, I think if you do this long enough, Christie's been in broadcasting. He was a governor for eight years. You know when mics are on and off. I think he wanted this to be caught on a hot mic as if he was just riffing on Haley and on DeSantis. He wanted this to get out there. I don't know why, but I, I think this was intentional. Anyway, let's hear cut two. go. We know we're right, but they don't want to hear it. Right. And, and there's, you know, we couldn't have been any clearer. Right. We couldn't have been any more, any more direct or worked any harder. So, yeah, I mean, look, she spent $68 million so far, just on TV. Spent $68 million so far, $59 million by DeSantis, and we spent twelve. I mean, who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment, you know? And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. Yeah, I talked to this. DeSantis calling me petrified that I would. Uh-huh. If I'm Chris Christie, this is just me and this is probably a cheap shot. Yeah, what the hell? Using the term who's punching above their weight is probably not the rhetorical question that I would be asking there for many, many reasons for, for that matter. Anyway. So that's where we're at at this point. Four days till Iowa, then New Hampshire. That's where the real intrigue is. Meanwhile, we have a president that is completely missing in action. Sleep tight, America. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with, who do we got? Tudor Dixon coming up next? Tudor Dixon on the other side. Stick around. The show not afraid to call out both sides of the aisle. He's the other side's worst nightmare. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. It is Fox Across America. I am Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, in for a fellow Fox News contributor, Jimmy Fallon, who was named just recently the host of Fox News Saturday night. Certainly earned it. You watched the show. The guy's a natural. And I can't think of anybody uh, better for that particular slot. And, and it's just, I love success stories. You really got to love success stories because... In this case, Jimmy was a cab driver, you know, as recently as like 2016. And then he was, you know, doing comedy spots, but, you know, it wasn't paying a lot type of thing, just like any struggling 
uh, comedian, and now he's doing sold-out shows. He's all over Fox. I mean, I thought I was on a lot, but but I think Jimmy has uh, lapped me now at that point as far as appearances and all these different shows. And now he's earned uh, the spot on Saturday night, national television, every Saturday, his own show. This is the dream, and, and uh, it's, it's great to see because he's, he's genuinely a good guy, and I'm always happy to fill in uh, whatever the folks ask there. And, and another success story you could say is Bill Belichick. I mean, of course he is. I mean, he was with the New England Patriots for 24 years. He won six championships. I mean, think about it. Chuck Knoll won four, right? And Tom Landry, I think, won three. And I could go through all these great coaches, but to win six, that's incredible. Now, of course, the but is that, well, but he had Tom Brady, and any coach that was there probably could have won that many. Eh, Maybe not, because outside of Tom Brady, name for me all the Hall of Famers that are on that team or were on that team. And the one time that Brady had truly a great receiver was Randy Moss, and that's the one time, the one era where he didn't win. Remember the Giants and Eli Manning and the helmet catch, and uh, that Randy Moss actually scored the go-ahead touchdown. People forget this with uh, only two minutes left to put the Patriots up 14-10. You think it was over. Eli Manning, he's not going to drive in the length of the field for a touchdown. Well, he did. A little luck, of course. Uh, but the point is that we just saw, and this is extraordinary because Fox just carried the Bill Belichick press conference live. You expect to see that on ESPN on Fox, I think it was a good decision because that's how big Belichick is and will continue to be if he continues coaching. I have a feeling he's not done. He's not going to want to go on this note. But uh, it it was reported, or the way it was portrayed, was that Belichick decided to resign and wasn't fired. And I think that's just an amicable conversation between Robert Kraft, the owner, and Belichick to say, look, I'm not going to fire you. Or you. I can't fire you after everything you've done for this organization for so long. So let's just say that you resigned. People can assume whatever they want, but at least it puts a good face on everything. And uh, Kraft is, you know, a smart guy. And obviously when Brady left the team and, and, and went to the Bucks, you know, he was told to leave because I think the Patriots at that point thought that he was done. He was old, 43 years old. So, But they made it amicable, and Brady came back this year uh, for, for a ceremony in his honor, and I have a feeling they'll be doing that for Belichick as well uh, in the in the near future. But where he goes from here could be a lot of places. I'm, I'm certain if I were an owner, he'd be the first guy that I'm looking at. But the Chargers, we keep hearing about L.A. over and over again, and if a team ever needed a veteran winning head coach, uh, that is the place to go because they've been to, what, uh, one Super Bowl, and that was 1995. Yeah, we're talking nearly 30 years ago. A cursed franchise. They could use a culture change, and Bill Belichick could bring it to L.A. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with Tudor Dixon in just a moment. This is a very Blink-182 feel to it. Producers, am I right on that? Is this Blink? Yes? All right, I knew it. No, I'm sorry. Repeat that in my ear. Couldn't hear you. I'm right. Okay, very good. Yes. I know my late 90s, early 2000s music probably better than almost anybody. I'm sure Tudor Dixon uh, is very well-versed in, in that regard as well. Just you, you hear a song, and then you think American Pie, then you think, all right, yeah, it's Blink-182. Anyway, before I go off on a complete tangent, let's bring in our next guest. She is... Tudor Dixon. She is the former GOP nominee for the governor of Michigan. And boy, we wish she was in that position right now, given everything we see going on in that state. And she's the host of a great podcast. I don't listen to many, all right? But I listen to Tudor Dixon's because, I don't know, she's cool. What, what else can I say? You're cool, Tudor. Congratulations. 
Oh, thanks. Well, when are you coming on? That's the real question. So now I'm going to make you come on the podcast. Ah, quid pro quo. All right. Not a problem. <laughs> I will uh, be there next week. I'll have my people talk to your people. I don't have people. I'll, I'll contact you and we'll go from there. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So what's going on in Michigan? Because I'm seeing polls Trump plus 10, and I'm seeing that Joe Biden has something like 16% of the Muslim population support. 16. I mean, these are unthinkable numbers. Is the anti-Biden sentiment still a thing uh, to the point where it can make a difference in Michigan because he has been so staunchly pro-Israel, and that's not going over well with the uh, Rashida Tlaib crowd? No, absolutely. That is a huge mess for him in the state of Michigan. But the state of Michigan is really in trouble. We've got increasing energy prices, just as Whitmer came out with her new climate plan and the all renewable energy by 2040, 50 percent by 2030. Everyone's rate got raised like overnight. And we have expensive energy here as it is. We've got businesses leaving. They just put a growth plan out today saying this is our growth plan. It may take effect by 2050, and we don't expect it to grow the population. So what's a growth plan, you know? People yeah. in the state of Michigan are like, we need something better. Whitmer is, is Biden in a dress. We've got to have some hope, and that only hope, the only hope comes in who can be president, and that's why you see this big boost. And we're talking to Tudor Dixon. Do you break a rib or two when you hear people say, well, if Joe Biden isn't the nominee, you always hear the same two or three names, and one of them is Gretchen Whitmer. Why do you think that is, given the record and given where Michigan is right now? Um, because she's out there. She's doing, you know, they have a really strong marketing strategy. It's a similar marketing strategy that you would use if you were a celebrity out there dancing, you know, doing fashion shows, right. putting pictures of her dogs out there. And that resonates with young people. As silly as that is, I mean, it has nothing to do with politics. If you actually knew what her politics were, you would run and hide. But she's very good at marketing herself. You know, Barbie comes out and all of a sudden it's Governor Barbie. And that was a genius campaign. I mean, I give them credit on this stuff. Where are Republicans when it comes to this? There is so much to be slamming these people on. And why are you not if you're a Republican right now? If you are if you are in the strategy zone of Republicans, why aren't you saying we've got to get Gretchen Whitmer's favorabilities down? We've got to get Andy Bashir's favorabilities down. You know, we've been so focused on Newsom. Look at these people who are making waves in the Democrat Party and you're not and we're not holding them accountable to any of their horrible policies. And they're just becoming famous overnight in the eyes of these young people are like, look at the way she dances on TikTok. And why is it in the state of Michigan, no elected official can have a TikTok except for Gretchen Whitmer? I mean, come on, <laughs> folks, let's get with it and see what they're doing. Uh, you know, on Fox this morning, they were talking about young girls and the, the trend of 10-year-olds going into Sephora. I have to say my daughter did that last night and she's 10. And getting skincare, why do you think they're doing it? Because they see it on TikTok, they see it on Instagram, they see it on YouTube. Same thing with politicians. If a 10-year-old suddenly thinks she needs anti-wrinkle cream, imagine what she's going to think when she sees Gretchen Whitmer. She's so awesome, I need more of her. This is true. Well, we're talking to uh, Tudor Dixon. She reminds me of Sigourney Weaver. She, she kind of has that kind of uh, celebrity vibe to her, I guess. But 
again, I just wish we had more serious people in this country that just look at issues and they look at what's happening as far as the U.S. southern border and millions crossing over and hundreds of those people, the ones we know of, happen to be on the FBI terror watch list. And you would think that would just be the number one thing on people's minds. Like, my God, we have to close this thing. That This is unsustainable. We see what it's doing to budgets in cities like Chicago and New York, where even yesterday, and, and you just mentioned your 10-year-old daughter. I have a 10-year-old daughter. And I do want to ask you about Stanley Cups in a moment because uh, this is a thing apparently among 10-year-old girls. But we had a school here not far from me in Brooklyn that had to close because illegals that were in the city uh, needed shelter from a rainstorm uh, that we got. So they closed a school so those folks can go live in the school and then the kids had to go home and do remote learning. Our priorities are completely upside down. And and yet uh, it's something that people just tend to – gloss over and say, well, you know, at least Joe Biden seems like a nice guy and he's going to save democracy. So maybe I'll vote for him. It just seems like to your point around the celebrity aspect of all this, ever since Bill Clinton, the big turning point in his campaign in 1992 was an appearance in Arsenio Hall when he played the saxophone. And then when he went on MTV and talked about how he smoked marijuana, but didn't inhale. And that apparently was like the big turning point. You're like, what? That was the turning point. (laughs) How could that be? So it seems like ever since then, whether we're talking Obama and even Trump to a certain extent, you do have to have a celebrity aspect to yourself. Yes, because our downfall is that we want to be logical. We're like, this obviously makes sense. And they are cool. I mean, that's that really is the downfall. We are not cool enough. We're not we are not bringing people over to our side because we're not talking in terms that affect the heartstrings. You know, they're like, what would you have done? You would have let these people sit out in the rain. But I mean, think about how crazy this is. Mayor Adams comes out and he's like, I have access to these buildings. I should use every building I have access to. It's like, wait a minute, dude. What are you talking about? You are not a dictator. When are we going to push back and say those aren't your buildings? Our money pays for those buildings. Those are our children's buildings, not people at the border. And we are not, for some reason, we have not been winning back on this issue. We won it in 2016. In 2020, they were able to flip that into a humanitarian issue. This is what Adams is trying to do now. Look, we got to be nice. These bees were kids. They'd be out in the rain. We have to get back to the reality of what this really is. So not only do you have to have people that resonate. I mean, you saw Trump last night. He's making jokes. People like him. He has that it factor. Everybody has to have that it factor at some point. And, And you've seen politicians that don't have it that have just fallen flat. Trump has the it factor. He has that that same. He has that ability to draw people in regardless. But you have to have that and logic. And so we have that on our side. They only have the it factor. We have the it factor and we have logic. So we've got to also get the word out. It can't be just in our own circles. We have to get the word out on, in other circles, to people's cell phones, to people's connected TVs. You've got to tell them what the dangers are at the border because most people don't understand it. But we've got – I mean I know people that have been on the Democrat side on this done a documentary down there to prove Republicans wrong and went, holy cow, this is a disaster. Kids are dying. Kids are being abused. You've got terrorists coming across. I mean, it is really bad, but we're not getting the message out. Why is that? And we're talking to Tudor Dixon. She is the host of the Tudor Dixon podcast, and she's asking very good questions here. want to get your reaction to Donald Trump. Trump, of course, endorsed you uh, in your governor's race. Uh, and I would imagine, well, let me ask you uh, straight up, are, are you endorsing Trump or you're going to hold off and, and, and see how this thing plays out? 
I talked to the president just last week, and we are working on making sure that Michigan goes for him. So I am in close contact with him, and he is, I mean, let's face it, you just run the polls in Michigan. We're going to win this. Yeah, uh, and at least Michigan looks good for him. And it, it's, if Michigan isn't won by Joe Biden, then you think Wisconsin is right behind it, and then obviously Georgia and Arizona. Uh, the, the rhetoric in 2020, your point around the border in Arizona, for example, well, reality has caught up with that. And it, it, Trump just needs to uh, close a gap of 10,000 votes. I have a feeling that that has either shifted or people will simply stay home and not vote for the Democratic nominee. But but here we go. Donald Trump last night, to your point, I haven't seen him that comfortable and relaxed. This was charming Trump. This was the Trump that I used to listen to do interviews in the Howard Stern show, for example. And he was genuinely funny and just seemed very comfortable and confident in his own skin. There wasn't any anger. And he just turned Democrats' words, like him being a dictator and he wants retribution, on their head. Let's play cut three, guys, and we'll get to this reaction on the other side. Cut three, go. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, and remember this. Our ultimate retribution is success. If we get that Trump, I think that he's unstoppable. If we get Trump talking about January 6th and how 2020 was stolen, I think people want to hear about the future, not the past. They want to see the contrast between him and Biden in terms of what he's going to do going forward. In other words, with Biden, I hear about January 6th, which is the Democrats' Super Bowl, and racism, and turning back the clock and talking about slavery and all these things. If you don't talk about the future, Tudor, you're toast in this election. Of course, and everybody lo- you're right, everybody loves that side of him. And you know he's not feeding you a line because you saw no retribution against Hillary Clinton. And let's face it, she created the fake dossier. She put him through H-E double hockey sticks for, I have to say that because I've got it, <laughs> for the entire, for his entire campaign, but for his entire four years, you know she was in the background doing this. He never, he never did that. He never wasted his time saying, you know what, I'm going to take my time in the presidency to assert power against the other side. He took his time in the presidency to do great things in this country, and that's what they're so afraid of. He accomplished more than any other president has accomplished in the four years that he was there. And so the biggest fear they have is he won't care. Why would he care about Joe Biden? I mean, Joe Biden is going to be in a nursing home as soon as he's out of the, the White House. So why would he need to go after anybody? He just wants to focus on what's right for the country. He proved it the last time when he could have easily said, hey, I want to get back at these people. But he didn't. He's not going to worry about that because he's got a job to do. And we're talking to Tudor Dixon. She is the mother of four. You bought up your 10-year-old daughter earlier. I'm curious. My daughter for Christmas, she said, oh, I really want daddy. And it's never like one thing. There's usually 20. So I'm like, oh, this is good news. Uh, and she said it was a Stanley Cup. And my brother used to work for the New Jersey Devils, the NHL hockey team. I'm like, I don't know if I can get my hands on this. I mean, the Devils don't even have the cup right now. I got to like, go to Vegas and get it from those guys. I guess I had no idea what she was talking about. And then my wife's like, no, it's like a really popular cup of like among like fourth graders. I'm like, oh. And then I looked at the price. I'm like, geez, this thing holds water and it's 40 bucks. How does this happen? So are you going through this right now? Totally. So I have four girls. Two, my twins are 10. 12 and 14 and it is all i hear about to the point where finally their grandmother i refuse to get them for christmas because i'm like we have thousands of water bottles in this house it's true and then their grandmother gave each gave them each money for christmas and over the weekend they finally said we're going to get daddy to take us out to the sporting goods store and we're all going to get stanley's and literally we finally gave in and we all got they all got stanley's because that is a big cup but then 
once we get them home, then one of the girls that works with me was like, oh, that's not the cool cup anymore. I'm like, Sarah, you stop talking. All we right. have them. We're all going to be happy with the Stanleys. What's replaced the Stanley, dude? Do we know? The Awala or something has this, it, it's this, you can sip it, but there's a straw. I don't even understand. <laughs> now, if the Stanleys are out this week, I'm going to be really mad because we just spent their college fund on four Stanleys. Seriously, that's about two hundred dollars then, right? If they're, like, they're forty bucks, so yeah, for <laughs> yeah, a cup, for something just to hold something. I mean, it's, I know it's, it's amazing how this works. Have you seen Barbie, by the way? Did you watch that with your kids? Is it kid appropriate? Because I'm still weighing whether I watch it with my daughter or not. Oh yeah, yeah, the, yes, and they loved it. And I, I got to tell you, I thought it was hilarious for all the the critics. I mean, I grew up with Barbie, obviously, and Barbie and Ken were great. And the take they have on Barbie living in a man's world. If you run for office as a woman, you're like, heck yeah, that is exactly what we're dealing with. So I was on Barbie's side. Are you going to run again? Because, you know, there's plenty of uh, miles left in those tires. What are you, like 36, 37? I'm, I'm just guessing, just looking at the photo. Oh but, my I mean, God. you've got a lot of time yes, ahead of you. I'm not, but yes, you're off by about 10 years, but I appreciate that. Oh, of course. Um, so, I, you know, we're looking, at, I'm looking, at, like I said, when I just said to you, we need to be educating the people. I failed in that area as a candidate. I will openly admit that. And I've learned that since we didn't take, we didn't take the right measures to make sure people understood who Gretchen Whitmer was. And so I'm working with people behind the scenes now to make sure we can change that and do better with Republicans. And if I can achieve that, then yeah, that's in my future. Interesting. So is Whitmer, is she term limited in Michigan? Like this is it for her, right? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, that's why she wants. You know, she's always moving up. Let's not let her move up this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should definitely run again. That that would be huge because, you know, Reagan lost in 76. And he ran again in 80, and then he was president of the United States. So sometimes maybe you have to go through the experience once. But I don't know if you're going to fit in uh, as far as being an elected politician because you just admitted a mistake, and nobody does that. <laughs> so I know. And I've gotten a lot of criticism since, like, how did you – How? why are you exposing the bad? And, like, look, we, the best thing you can do, I, I believe – I mean, Reagan was great because you learn more from losing. When I when I lost, I was asked to speak at an event, and I said, "Well, what am I going to say? Because I just let these people down." And the guy who was talking to me at the time, one of my advisors, he said, "If you want, if you won, you'd walk in there and act like you knew everything." He said, "Now you can walk in there and confidently know that you're learning." And I was Very. like, "Yeah, that's huh. a good point." That is sage advice. Uh, all right, so we're going to end things here with, uh, do you play Would You Rather with your kids when you're trying to kill time, like waiting for uh, food <laughs> or a restaurant or a train or somewhere or something like that? I actually haven't. I need to do that because I could learn a heck of a lot more about them. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm actually, Sarah, who is we talk about a lot on this program, she's sitting across from me. I can see her, a spark in her eye. She's going to be doing that with them. <laughs> all right, so let me, let me give you an example of this, all right? Would you rather be in jail for five years, Tudor Dixon, or be in a coma for ten? I would. Uh, I oh gosh, what did <laughs> I go to think jail about this for? One. Was it something that was good? What's that? Was I a freedom fighter? Is that why I went to jail? I mean, uh, there might be. I think it's irrelevant. I think it's like, all right, would you rather be like alive and coherent, five years in jail, which is not years. a pleasant place? I watched Orange Is the New Black, and that's that's something that you know. I don't know if you really want to go through that, or rather just be asleep for ten years, and you wake up, and then you're fine. Uh, I don't know. I think it's used jail. Yeah, I think so, too. I think I'd rather be awake. And who knows? You know, in in, the, in our current justice system, you're probably out in six months. Right. So that's kind of the way right, you got to exactly. look at it. I'm a, yeah, yes, exactly. I can negotiate that. So I'll choose still. Thanks for putting me on the spot. 
Of course. All right, one more for you. Would you rather be able to stop time or go back in time? Oh, go back in time for sure. I agree. It's it's back to the future too. You know, you you now know the result of every sporting event. You just simply go back and then you bet on it and then you're you're a billionaire and everybody's happy. Yeah, and I would appreciate plumbing a lot more if I could go back in time. Plumbing, yeah, that's true. Or just to do college all over again. You know, I mean, that would be cool. You went to Kentucky, I think, right? You told me once? Yes, yeah. Oh, wow. So you were there for like the national championships with Calipari and all that. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, the whole time. Yes, yes. I was. So I lived in Chicago in my high school years, so I watched the Bulls win the entire time I was in high school, and then yeah. I went to Kentucky, and I watched the um, I watched Kentucky win the whole time. So I was actually I was actually a Molder. I was Patino and Tubby Smith. Ah, uh, okay. Well, either way, you're, you're spoiled as far as your sports exposure. That's certainly yeah, for sure. Yeah, very spoiled. It was wonderful. And I'm told we're out of time, unfortunately, Tudor, but I will be on your show next week. That is a promise. She is the host of the Tudor Dixon podcast and future governor of Michigan. Tudor, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And this is Joe Conchin for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more in just a moment on Fox Across America. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. We're going B-52s here. We're going back to the 80s, I believe, for this. I think the B-52s were scheduled to perform at the White House like earlier this year, and then they got canceled for some reason. And somebody got COVID or something like that. I'm like, the b Friggin' 52s are still around. I mean, in the late 80s, they were a thing. What is that, 40 years ago? they got to be in their 70s. Yeah, the Stones are still, I guess, touring. So what do I know? Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. So much more coming up, including the great Todd Pyro. So please stick around for that and others in just a moment. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Hour two of Fox Across America. I am Joe Concha, Fox News contributor in for Mr. Fallon, Jackie Heinrich, one of our great White House correspondents and a tremendous chef, by the way. I wouldn't know this personally, but if you follow Jackie on Facebook, she has this little thing called uh, Getting Fat with Jackie. And it's just her putting together all these wonderful dishes you're like wow it's like she's a serious white house correspondent always asking great questions along with peter Ducey by day and then apparently like rachel ray by night so uh good job jackie anyway uh she reports that apparently joe lieberman remember joe lieberman was al gore's vice presidential pick in 2000 very reasonable democrat old school common sense kind of democrat uh he's now heading up the no labels effort and she is reporting that Lieberman's going to reach out to Chris Christie about being on a possible ticket there. We've heard Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin possibly joining forces as far as no labels. Democrats hate, I mean loathe, no labels. Nancy Pelosi and others have said they are undemocratic. They need to be stopped. They're going to get Trump reelected. They're undemocratic. How's that? Having more people run for president is undemocratic. I I believe at last check, just having two major parties control the entire race, that's what's undemocratic. Let as many people jump in as they want. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running as an independent. You got Jill Stein, Cornell West. You go down the line. Uh, But obviously, there is an appetite for somebody else besides Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We've seen that. It's a hold-your-nose kind of election. There's a lot more enthusiasm on Trump's side than there is on Biden. I don't even know if Biden has really a base at this point. He's lost so many black voters and Hispanic voters and young voters that I, I don't know what the Biden base is at this point. Uh, but needless to say, 
no labels could play a major role here because again the margin for error is so small with Biden. I mean, again, if he loses Arizona, which he won by a hair, and Georgia, which he lost, uh, won by a hair, and Wisconsin, which he won by a hair, and Michigan, which he won by a hair, you lose those states, and, and Trump's your next president or whoever the GOP nominee is. And the fact that he's lost those people and that groups like No Labels and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. can draw just enough people away. Remember, Jill Stein apparently made the difference in the 2016 election in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan because uh, she pulled away just enough votes to put Donald Trump over the finish line, who also won a very close election. So in close elections, when you split that pie up more, it only hurts the incumbent, and the incumbent is Joe Biden, if he is, in fact, the Democratic nominee. Once again, it's like, you remember the uh, movie uh, Charlie and the Chalka Factory, or maybe it was called Willy Wonka, but it was, it's the great one with, with Gene Wilder. That's the only great one that was ever made, one of the great performances you'll ever see out of Mr. Wilder. And the beginning is about Charlie's family, and they're poor and they're desolate, and he could barely afford to buy one chocolate bar to get the golden ticket. And when he comes back home, they basically live in like a studio kind of apartment kind of house, and it's just, it just consists of beds with grandparents just laying in the bed all day in their pajamas. That's Biden. And I'm not making a joke here. His public schedule over the last three days has had nothing on it except for lunch with the vice president. At one point, he received the daily intelligence briefing at 3.45 in the afternoon. Why? When nothing else is on his schedule, can't we get that to him first thing? Because it's kind of important, right? I don't know. I'm just asking basic common sense questions. Anyway, why don't we go to our busy phones? Uh, I'll let our producers uh, pick our caller, and I'll allow him to enter or her to introduce herself. Uh, go ahead. Uh, who is on the line? Yeah, this is Bernie in Clearwater, Florida. Hey, Bernie. I was in Clearwater not too long ago, and it is gorgeous. I mean, the beaches you guys have, the sunsets. I mean, you are a lucky man. I'm in Jersey right now, and it's bitterly cold, windy, gray. It rained like four inches. Everything's muddy. So appreciate what you have, I think, Bernie, is what I'm trying to say. But you want to talk about something else besides the weather, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I've been here. I've been in Florida since 79, so almost feel like a native. Um, (laughs) First thing I want to say is I watch Fox and Friends first every morning, hell or high water. And I enjoy the segment that you do with Todd, and I wish it was longer. But getting away from that. Thank um, you. Can I stop you there for a second? And it's not to soak in my own ego, because I don't have one. But you are not alone in that sentiment. And I'm going to talk to Todd Pyro about this later. I have people just come up to me on the street, and I would think they would say, oh, I see you on Hannity, or I see you on Outnumbered, or I see you with Bill and Dana, or with Cudlow, or whoever. Most of the time, it's I see you on Fox and Friends when I'm at the gym or when I'm awake. I guess my question for you, Bernie, is what are you doing awake at that hour? Because <laughs> I'm not a morning um, person, but I do it. Well, I'm an old guy. I'm 78 years old and always got up early. I'm up at 4 o'clock every morning and wow. watch local news. And 5 o'clock on the bell, I got to switch over to Todd and Carl. I, I enjoy those two. I think they're fantastic people. They really yeah. are. And, uh, you know, yeah, Todd, I'll be speaking to you later in the show, but uh, Car- Carly is a gem. I mean, she really is. It, she's every bit the same person on the air as she is off. And that's a, a lot of people can't say that in this business. They, they become TV version of themselves instead of just themselves. But she's from New Jersey, as is Todd, as am I. So I guess we have that common thread. But anyway, I'm sorry. I, was, I keep interrupting you. What would you want to talk about? I was, I, was, I was born in New Jersey, Newark. So anyways, okay. uh, I I got a question for you. You being you know, where you are, which is the, which was the hill of that. Why did Susan Rice, number one, leave the Biden administration when she did? It's been very hush-hush. 
That's a and very good question. I didn't even know she left. <laughs> uh, she did, like, the you know, middle of last year. April 2023. Yeah, out. I see that. Yeah. And she bailed out. You know, I know she's close to Michelle Obama. You know, they've been close ever since the whole time Susan Rice worked for the Obama administration. You know, and conspiracy theory, you know, Biden can run through all the primaries. You got to remember the Democrats have their quote unquote super delegates where they can go to the convention and put whoever they want up to be, you know, as a candidate. Doesn't matter if Biden wins all the primaries. You ain't kidding. And and you're not the first person, Bernie, to bring up this scenario that all they'll do. And it's, again, these are the people that say they want to save democracy. They will do the most anti-democratic thing possible. And and you're not the only one to say this. Like, people very informed, who are very on the inside, think that this scenario is possible, where they get to the convention in Chicago, and it's utter chaos. You, you can only imagine uh, what, what we're going to see. It's going to be like 1968 as far as conventions uh, all over again, when uh, that convention was held in Chicago, and it was utter, utter, utter chaos. Um, oh, where okay. you have a scenario where suddenly Joe Biden uh, decides that he has a health issue or is decided for him, and then the delegates on the floor then decide who they're going to vote for instead, and they take the vote completely away from the people. The whole primary process meant nothing, and they install somebody instead. And if the Republicans ever tried this, uh, rightly, the media reaction would be apocalyptic, Right. But the media probably here would be behind it because, well, you know, they're not journalists, they're activists at this point. So could you see then, I guess what I'm connecting the dots here is Susan Rice is then therefore running the campaign for Michelle Obama and she is installed as a Democratic nominee? That's my thought. It's not a bad one. It kind of makes sense, right? (laughs) I don't know if you watched uh, little hits on the podcast you did the other day there. Mm -hmm. Um, She sounds like a candidate. You know, I mean, just the way she's talking. I fear for this country and all that, you know. I, I, I would think she's just happy making her Netflix documentaries and movies and earning her Emmy Awards and living on that, that uh, estate in, in Martha's Vineyard that has its own zip code and just be very happy with that and not jumping into the swamp. But I could see that happening, and then I could see her losing quite badly because it's not going to be I'm sitting down with Oprah anymore and this is going to be this is going to go nice and swimmingly I I have a feeling that she's not going to be able to handle it at all and again people will see the world on fire as it is with this Ukraine Russia war just endless as far as a stalemate is concerned and the war in Gaza obviously the potential expand I mean we we have Iran today just seized an oil tanker uh, in the Red Sea and has the Houthis are, are firing on our troops and our ships on a daily basis. And you're going to say, oh, Michelle Obama is just the person that we want at this moment in time. Democrats can do that and, and, and pull that gambit. And a lot of people is going to leave a bad taste in their mouth, like the independent ones, the ones that could actually objectively think sane and sober. And I think that will backfire on them or they will lose even worse than if they had Joe Biden in there. What do you think? I don't know about that. Michelle Obama, I think, was. Would- draw in a lot of the black women and some of the men because Trump, yeah, yeah, he holds holds a good portion of black men, not the black women, okay? Um, And I think it's, you know, with her saying, I I think it's an ego trip. Somebody like her, whatever, wants to be president for their own ego, be the first woman, first woman of color, blah, blah, blah. 
You know, so that that's the thing. I think there's. I personally think it would be tough for the Republicans. I, I know, think that would play well, Bernie. And, a, and I'm sorry, they're, they're telling me that we got to get the break soon, so I, I apologize for cutting you off. I think that would work well with the MSNBC crowd as far as, like, she checks off all these boxes and, you know, she's so likable. But I think in the end, a lot of people vote with their wallets. They don't like the fact they don't feel safe in their communities. They hate what's going on at the border. And she's going to have to, like, go into detail about how she's going to fix all of these problems. And at least Hillary Clinton, when she ran, she was secretary of state and she was a senator. Michelle Obama to jump from, hey, I was a lawyer, then the first lady, now I want to be president. I think that's a that's a bridge too far. But I, you make all great points, and that, that was one of the more fun calls that I've had. And enjoy Clearwater. And Bernie, Jersey guy, Newark, Ironbound, I would imagine. Thank you for calling. We appreciate it. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. we got some great guests coming up this hour. Roger Williams, Gianno Caldwell, please do stick around. It is Fox Across America. It's the show that never hits the books. I love the poorly educated. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor in for Jimmy Fallon. This is Fox Across America. Let's bring in Congressman Roger Williams, Republican, Texas, 25th District, joins us here on the show. Uh, amazing. I was just reading about you, Congressman, as far as you being one of the last people to see John F. Kennedy alive before he was gunned down on that faithful day in November of 1963. Can, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's uh, Joe, it's like it was yesterday. And every year when November 22nd comes up, I do some interviews about it. But it was like it was yesterday. And I was 15 years old. And I got I got in the position to meet him because uh, he came to Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, then Congressman Jim Wright, who you remember, we, we used to be Speaker of the House, was he was a congressman and uh, was a good friend of my father's, and we're the Chevrolet dealers in Fort Worth. And they asked if my father would supply the uh, cars from the Air, Air Force Base to the Texas Hotel and take the take uh, the group back, and my dad said, absolutely. And the only thing he asked was if my mother and I could meet the president, and that's how we got arranged, and we went that morning, and and heard uh, him give a great speech and talked about going to the moon and what we could do in the next 10 years. He inspired me. And then they came and got my mother and I and took us to a little room, and we uh, we waited. And about that time, Mrs. Kennedy came by and shook my mother's hand, shook my hand, and stood right next to me. And you can imagine how I felt at age 15, standing next to the First Lady. Wow. And then the president came around, and he had a cigar. He put, took a puff out of a cigar, put it in the sand urn, came and shook my mother's hand and shook my hand, didn't let go, and looked back at my mother and said, you got a good-looking young man here. And then he went out the door, and that was at, uh, that was at uh, 1042, and I believe he was assassinated at 1242. Wow. Uh, and, uh, but I remember going on my way there, I wanted to see what kind of shoes the president wore. Uh, and he wore, <laughs> he wore black cap-toe cap shoes like many men wear today, no, no <laughs> different. And I was also surprised how red his hair was because, you know, that was during black-and-white television. And right. uh, getting the same in person, I was – it struck me how red that his hair was. So, you know, that's what was that? That's, and then we've since then we've had a 50-year uh, anniversary where where we went through the whole thing again in Fort Worth back in 2013 and a 60th year now, and uh, it's just like it was yesterday to me. And and to take it even further, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, who was the perpetrator, went to my high school, and he was a little ahead of me, but not much. And uh, so all my teachers and coaches remembered him, and he was. He was uh, so it, it, we were deeply involved with that whole thing, and then to see him 
on that Sunday shot on television in, in Dallas. They brought his body to Fort Worth, and several of us found somebody that had a car, and we drove to the funeral home and looked in the window to see if we could see the body. That's how involved we were. Wow. But, uh, but it changed the course of the world. I mean, you look back in history, and that event changed the course of the world. Before that, I mean, we were coming off World War II. Veterans, people were happy to be home. They loved their country. They left their doors open at night. You went to church. You played Little League. You had moms and dads. You had, and, of course, that event changed the world. It really did. And and uh, it's, uh, it's it's moved from that. But, yeah, I, it's uh, something that was like it was yesterday to me. And I, I'll speak it. I'll talk about it every year from now on, I guess. Wow. that That's an incredible story. And, and you know, all I know is when I was 15, like the big – person in the world that I met was Doug Flutie, who was a quarterback of like a USFL team that Donald Trump owned in New Jersey. Like that was my big moment. You got to meet JFK and on the day he was assassinated. I said, that, that is just uh, utterly well, remarkable and, and tragic. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, and, and, and I went back to school and it was in class and the principal came and whispered in my teacher's ear that the president had been assassinated. My teacher put his head down on the desk and started crying. And then sure. they had all the parents come get the kids and we all got out of school. So it was a uh, it was it was quite the moment, but I've had the honor of shaking hands with every president since Harry Truman. Oh wow, that is something. Yeah. And not many people so, can say that. So sometimes when I'm asked to speak somewhere, I'm not sure what, if my group wants to hear about baseball or politics. I'll tell them about <laughs> the seven presidents I shook hands with. <laughs> Well, baseball's a fun topic, too, and obviously your, your Texas Rangers finally got off to Schneiden and uh, won an improbable championship this year. I mean, just completely unstoppable on the road. And I, Again, I could go off on a tangent, but we got other things to talk about. We're talking to Representative Roger Williams, Texas 25 Republican. Uh, you know, I'm writing a book called Not Your Daddy's Donkeys, and uh, I've done a lot of research on the Democratic Party, starting with John F. Kennedy. And I look at Kennedy in terms of his presidency, he comes in, there's a recession going on. He, he has these huge tax cuts. He also beefs up the military. He talks about how he's against racial quotas because he sounds just like Martin Luther King, where, you know, we shouldn't be judging people on the uh, color of their skin, but the content of their character. I'm like, this guy today, JFK, probably would be a Republican. He probably wouldn't sniff the Democratic nomination. Am I right about that? No, I think you're exactly right. And the thing about it is I'm a business guy, and the thing that he was for was tax cuts. To yeah. get the economy going again. I mean, he realized if you cut taxes, you create more taxpayers, you create more cash. And, and I think without a doubt, he would be in the Republican Party. Uh, and uh, what he says is, is what uh, most of us say and believe. And that's how much the, that party has changed uh, over the course of the years. And uh, uh, But I do think that uh, he certainly would have been on the Republican side. There's no question. Sure. And, and another part of the book, then I go through the presidencies of Clinton and Obama, Obama was called the deporter-in-chief. Bill Clinton talked about illegals, makes Donald Trump sound like a wallflower in terms of the way he spoke about the need for border security and how these people were coming in and taking good jobs from legal citizens of the country. Like, these are Democrats saying this. I can't get over it. I'm, I'm sorry that we only have about a minute left. Uh, but will the border be a top-two issue along with the economy uh, as far as the 2024 election, and if so, that bodes well for whoever the GOP nominee is, who will probably be Donald yeah. Trump, but we'll see. It's going to be border and economy. I can tell you, I'm a business guy. I still own my business. I have hundreds of employees back home in Fort Worth and Weatherford, Texas, and uh, it's going to be about the economy. But the border, the, we've got to we, look at the border is the biggest issue in my mind. We have all these, you, 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 we know the numbers, all the people coming over here, and they're not coming over here to, for, for work. They're coming over here to hurt us. We've got to secure the border. Uh, we've got to get a hold of it. We've got to get our sovereignty back. 
and uh, we've got to uh, uh, and, and fix the economy. I mean, as long as we have high inflation, high interest rates, no supply chain, uh, we're going to have a, a problem with the economy. And and uh, but we can do it. And, and and Trump did his policy, whether you like him or not, and I support him all the way. His well, policy works, but but it, it, it's about the economy and it's about the border. Congressman Roger Williams, I wish we had more time. Fascinating stuff. I have zero idea who this is. I'm usually pretty good at identifying the bump music when we come out of a commercial. Is that Tool, guys? Who we got here? Nirva- That's Nirvana? I thought I knew Nirvana. I'm a lithium guy on Sirius XM when, I'm, uh, when I need to take a break from the politics thing and listen to a lot of grunge. But uh, all right, good. Good job, uh, everybody. And what was that? Let's see. Kurt Cobain offed himself in 1992, I want to say. So we're talking nearly everything's more than 30 years ago at this point in my life. It's really depressing. I don't know where the time goes. Gianna Caldwell uh, probably was born in the early 90s, I would think. At least it looks like he was. Uh, some people have a young look. He's got the young look. Me, it's, it's going in another direction. It's, it's uh, not going too well. Probably because, Gianna, you were smart enough to move to Florida. Am I correct about that? I mean, absolutely correct about being smart enough to move to Florida two months into the L.A. shutdown where they treated us like – prisoners yeah and i decided wholeheartedly against that but i'll tell you most people say that i don't look like i was born in a 90s show they say <laughs> i look like i was born in 2000 something wow <laughs> i'm looking at your twitter picture right here for your, your book uh taken for granted yeah you're right if you told me you were born in 2004 i completely buy it but uh, uh <laughs> let's get off this topic shall we um have you ever calculated just for fun as far as how much money you've saved in state income tax by moving from California, which I think is like 13.3% to Florida, which is 0.0. Like, can you, it's probably thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars that you've saved by making this move. Or millions. We don't know. That's a good I point. haven't calculated. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I heard it was rude to ask what people make. Oh, that's too I, funny. I haven't looked into it. But what I will tell you though, is some very pleasant news came out from the chief of police of, uh, I believe it was Miami, not Miami-Dade. So Miami-Dade is the county. Miami is the city in which I live in. But the mayor and the chief of police have now said, I guess we've had the lowest murder rate ever. Wow. Um, I think homicide rate last year was 31 people. And, you know, obviously you want to get it to zero. But just imagine a major influx of folks coming from California, coming from New York State coming from a lot of different places all across the country and the world because, of course, Miami was a safe haven for many of those people, including me, and knowing what the murder rate is compared to the rest of the country. This is one of the major big cities in America with a very diverse population, but conservative leadership running the the city, the county uh, to a large degree, and the state. I mean, this is this is uh, one of the best moves I could have ever made. And a lot of my friends who thought I was nuts for leaving California and Los Angeles when I did have come and joined me right here in the state of Florida. That's the thing. The argument is, well, people moved to Florida for the climate and coastline. Well, California, I was in San Diego earlier this year in, in 2023, and it has coast and <laughs> coastline and climate, too. So that, that comparison's out the window. It's just, look, crime's at a 50-year low in the state of Florida overall. More people are moving yeah. there than any other state in the country. There's a reason for it. Uh, and, yeah. and then you, you mentioned 31 people killed, right, um, as far as the the year total where you live, right? 
Then I just yes. Googled just, just to, to check this out. Uh, and we'll talk about this in a second, uh, because obviously this is something that uh, is, is affected your life uh, permanently and, and obviously in the, the most horrific way I, I could imagine. Uh, ABC yes. News, 43 people shot, six fatally in violent Chicago weekend. Three dead, 38 wounded in weekend shootings across Chicago. Uh, let's see. 75 shot, 14 killed over weekend, just a weekend alone. There are people getting killed in the span of a week or two in Chicago as compared to South Florida where it, it takes an entire year. I mean, this just must drive you uh, so – I don't know how you keep your composure. I mean, given uh, what happened with your brother and, and that story, what, what is the latest on that? Have they ever found the person that, that was behind it? Well, just to give folks who may have not heard, I'm Gianno Caldwell. Um, I've been at Fox News since 2017, and I've been very thankful for the platform in which the network has provided me to talk about issues of great impact to our country, uh, issues whether it be about crime and violence or it be about the economy, or immigration, whatever it may be. I'm thankful for being able to give my voice in a very authentic fashion to millions of viewers on a weekly basis, and I'll tell you, on June 24th, 2022, my life changed forever when I learned on a Friday morning that my youngest brother, my innocent teenage baby brother, was murdered in the city of Chicago. Multiple people shot. Um, the target was not my brother. It was someone else who was shot, I think, about 17 times. My brother was shot once or twice, and he was the only one who didn't live through this this tragedy, and since then... I've been on a journey not just to get justice for my brother, but for families across the country after having had to deal with um, a police department who have mayors who don't actually support them, uh, elected officials, including the governor, who don't, don't support them, who support uh, not criminal justice reform, but justice for the criminal. And I'll, I'm, I'm thankful to say with a lot of work, uh, whether it be from dealing with the police and to them ignoring me to then calling for the FBI to get involved and they still didn't get involved to me then lobbying members of Congress, including chairmen of congressional committees, to, to get the FBI to get involved. The FBI is now involved. There's been a person who uh, was arrested on an unrelated crime, and it appears from my conversations with the FBI that they've identified the other individuals or potentially have identified, I should say, because I have not got a clarified answer, the other individuals that have been involved in my brother's murder. And I'm thankful for that. I'm especially thankful for the viewers um, who are listening to this radio show, those who I know similarly listen to um, our, our broadcast and, and the publications that have picked this story up, because it's one that really still impacts my family, but it also impacts the many other individuals who've been murdered in the city of Chicago, who've been murdered in New York, who've been murdered in the, in the city of Los Angeles, and across the country where there's been deliberate attempts by the county prosecutors and the district attorneys to allow criminals to go free. Am I hurt by this? Absolutely. I'm pissed the hell off by what I see that is going on in our country. But I'll let my voice, and thankfully that I have the platform, that I work for just like you, Joe, let my voice be heard and we'll continue to push this as we hope, hope and pray for change and we hope to get justice for numerous families who are lost without it. Amen. And we're talking to Fox News contributor Gianna Caldwell. Were you just utterly shocked when a man who talked about defunding the police 
runs for mayor in Chicago after everything that you just described and talked about and some of the numbers that we shared. And Brandon Johnson is the guy that Chicago says that's the person who's going to lead us moving forward, the person that values seemingly the lives of criminals over his citizens. In other words, Chicago, can it be saved when the leadership there, we keep electing people like Brandon Johnson or the attorney general uh, that's there that, that, that tried to get Jesse Smollett off the hook? I mean, it, that's the thing. Like, I, I wish I could see change, but for whatever reason, Chicagoans or, or New Yorkers keep voting for these folks that don't seem to be interested in fixing the problem. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly, but Brandon Johnson used his uh, first city council meeting as mayor to make fun of me. His first words what? to make fun of me. And, you know, we've not reported on it or anything else. It didn't seem like it was worth the time as he knows that I'm looking to get justice for my brother, my innocent teenage baby brother who was murdered in the city of Chicago on June 24, 2022, and many other family members that I've interviewed on our network. He chose to make fun of me versus say, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened in the city of Chicago, and I'm here to help solve those problems and bring justice to family. He didn't take that opportunity. He took the opportunity to poke fun wherever he could. Uh, because I work for Fox News Channel, and that's that's the reason why I believe in part that he did it, because he wants to try to be some liberal savior, which I think a lot of folks within the city of Chicago who voted for him are already regretting their vote. If you that look is... at what has happened with the mar- migrant crisis and the folks that have come to Chicago, a lot of those voters who happen to be African-American, who have chosen to vote for him over Paul Vallis, who was also a Democrat, but maybe somebody who was a little bit too conservative for them, who talked about violence, as you know, for the first time um, in about 20, 30 years in the city of Chicago, crime was the number one issue on the ballot when voting for the mayor. That's why I went into a runoff, and Paul Vallis had the highest amount of votes, um, and he lost to Brandon Johnson. Folks are realizing, like, hey, you know, we got a lot of different migrants from different places within the city of Chicago, and they're looking to give them universal incomes. They're giving them housing. They're giving them all kind of benefits that a lot of the veterans, a lot of the disabled, a lot of the black residents who loyally vote for the Democratic Party time and time again are not getting. And I think for them, it is absolutely the best example that black votes, black votes do not matter to Democrats. Uh, Black lives, I should say. Black lives don't matter to Democrats. It's the black votes that matter to them. So they, they want to, especially in a set of circumstances like this, um, show that, you know, the black residents that are there now, they're like, hey, you know, whoever's willing to close the border, whoever's willing to enforce the laws of the land, that's who we're going to support. So I don't think that he's going to get reelected. Uh, things obviously can change, you know, maybe shift. But I don't see it, and I've talked to a lot of Democrats in that area who lead efforts in the city of Chicago, activism, and and other folks of professional capacities who say, you know, people are already fed up with what what they've seen with Brandon Johnson. I don't think he'll get reelected. But then the question becomes, I mean, we had Lori Lightfoot. You got Brandon Johnson in. He still has a no-choice policy where police officers can't even chase criminals. Will they elect somebody even worse in the next upcoming election? That's something we just don't know at this time. 
But it, it, it's not what it was in the previous election. I can tell you that. Now, this is true. And Johnson currently at 28% approval, and he's only been there for about eight months. And we're talking to Gianno Caldwell, Fox News contributor. Yeah, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Brandon Johnson claims that reparations will help tackle the, quote, cycle of violence amid a 17% surge in crime. In other words, he thinks if you just pay off the black population, then they'll stop doing crime. Which, where is that money coming from, A, because they already have a huge budget shortfall in Chicago. Uh, it's even to the point where illegal migrants are going to Chicago and they want out. They want to go back to Venezuela. It's that bad there. But uh, is reparations the answer, Gianno? I know it's a rhetorical question, but I want to get your perspective on it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with this new thing that they're apparently looking to do, if it's reparations and there's a connectivity to crime. Uh, I don't necessarily see that working out in the way in which uh, it, it's intended. And I, again, I don't know any of the details, so I can't really speak of it in an intellectually honest way outside of the headline in and of itself. Reparations does not change uh, the outcomes of crimes, the ramifications of crime, which I know people have largely said are poverty, etc. I grew up poor. I grew up disenfranchised. I grew up in a, in a home uh, full of addiction, and I never uh, went in that direction of crime, chaos, and a lot of the things in which we're, we, we see in the city of Chicago regularly. I think there needs to be an honest conversation on uh, reparations because, to be honest, Democrats have often, whether it be at the federal, state, or local levels, have waved this sign of, oh, we can solve all the issues with reparations. And then they'll say, come vote for us. We're going to go ahead and give you reparations. And once the votes are tallied and they won, they say, yeah, we're going to do a study on reparations. I mean, how many study. studies are they planning on doing? <laughs> they don't want to make the decision because they know that it is not one that's going to be a popular one and it's not going to be one in which they actually went out. But they know they can win a conversation around the issue. Um, and, again, even if there were to be reparations, that's not going to change, in my personal and humble opinion, the conditions of Chicago. Chicago's a violent city because, city because they don't have leadership that's willing to say enough is enough. They don't have leadership that's willing to say we're going to unhandcuff the police. They don't have leadership that's willing to do what's necessary to bring about true change within the city of Chicago, and especially economic change where you can have a reduction in the tax policy. We don't see that. I mean, it's, it's just not a city where I think is, is livable for a reasonable person uh, who can afford to move. That's why we see uh, Illinois as a state in and of itself with the most folks moving out. You see, uh, you know, uh, whatever these moving companies are, they, you, you yeah. do a survey, they wanted a number one states number within the top five states of people moving out along with new york state and california yep and my state of new jersey a lot of people moving as well for the for the high taxes and i i want out personally but unfortunately uh my, my parents uh my, my dad lives here my wife's mom lives here all of our siblings live here we ain't going anywhere uh so <laughs> you're a fortunate man and it's you know i i love chicago i mean people are like well, how are you a cubs fan exactly uh why is your basement a shrine to michael jordan uh why do you love uh the bears when they've been horrible for like 30 years basically I'm like, you know you visit chicago in its prime you know the magnificent 
mile and Harry carries and obviously the, the, the cubby bar and, and Wrigley. And it's just, it's got so much beauty, it, it, particularly if you get up to the top floor of some of the buildings, you're overlooking Lake Michigan. You're like, boy, this is a, a, a jewel. And now it's just a, a shell of itself. And it's, it's just, it's just such a shame. Uh, Gianno, I, I just have to ask you real quick. And, and to your point, yeah. the mile is no longer magnificent. It's just a mile with a lot of boarded up stores. I mean, I'm, I'm I trying know. to tell you, Joe, like I've lived in Chicago all the way up into my 20s when I left Chicago in 2012 on the Romney campaign. I know that's a bad word right now for president. Yeah. In 2012, that's when I moved to D.C. and I was there for five years before moving to L.A. I will tell you, there was a time where, you know, the South Sides, the West Sides, you know, these were very dangerous places and these were the most dangerous places in the city. I moved downtown Chicago. I lived in I lived in a loop. And I know that you didn't have to necessarily have your head on the swivel as much as you had to in these other particular areas. But now in the city of Chicago, everywhere is particularly dangerous. It really is. And I'm going to tell you, when my brother, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to mention this point, uh, my my brother, it was his funeral. My my One of my best friends in the world, Lisa Booth, yeah, Lisa. she came out to the funeral um, and many other people from across the country came out to the funeral. And I remember on that Friday night, because the funeral was on a Saturday morning, Yeah, I told her, I said, hey, let's, we're going to do dinner downtown. We got a big group. And she said, no, I'm not going to go to dinner downtown. I'd rather be in the suburbs. We can do dinner here in the suburbs. And it was in a, in a message, and I told people, like, oh, she doesn't want to come. And people kind of made fun of her. Yeah. But this is what That's happened. Insane. On the day that I left Sunday, oh, man. there was a shooting right down the street from the restaurant oh, downtown that we there? were going to have dinner at. Oh, man. I hate <laughs> to end it on that horrible note, Gianna, but they're telling me we're at a hard break, and you know what that means. So let, let's do this again soon, all right, my friend? And this is Joe Concha, Jimmy Fallon, back with more in a moment. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. I know that maybe Jimmy's talked about this this week, but I would love to do a segment with him uh, before Saturday. Dolphins, Chiefs, two great quarterbacks, Saturday night, prime time, and you got to get the peacock in order to watch it on streaming. You want endless parks and recreations, reruns, Peacock is for you, and apparently to watch the biggest game, you could argue, of the wild card weekend, and they're going to stream it. I mean, that's just a whole ball of wrong. I'm sorry. Regular season, Thursday night, Jags, Titans, I get. Chiefs, Dolphins, no. Anyway, Joe Concha, and for Jimmy Fallon, Todd Pyro on the other side. Back with more. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon here on Fox Across America. Let's bring in our next guest. And, wow, this is going to be fun. Only because I know my football. I know the Steelers. I'm going to want to talk to you about this, Madison, Jesse Otto, Gilbert. Uh, what's it like being married to a football player? You know, it's been a lot of fun. My husband retired two years ago, but I was uh, with him this last couple years of his career. Uh, NFL, super exciting. Uh, I wish I would have known him back in his college football days when he was with the University of Florida. We were actually just on radio this morning talking about his two national championship wins, unfortunately one of them against my Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, But, yeah, we're a big football house. We love it. (laughs) Very good. And also we should mention that 
Of course, Madison is the national spokeswoman for the grand old party, the GOP. Yeah, you had to love watching Michigan celebrate a national championship. Huh? That, that, that really must have been a fun night of the, uh, the, the household. Well, surprisingly, we were rooting for Michigan. Our cousin is on the defense for Michigan. So it was the one time probably ever that I'll be rooting for Michigan in a national championship. (laughs) Too funny. Hey, I could talk football all day, but I do want to talk about what we witnessed last night on two different networks, one being Fox, of course, and that was the Trump town hall. Were you able to watch? And if so, what were your impressions of the president? I'll give you my, my quick macro thought process on how he did last night. I thought it was smart that he made the conversation a contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, not so much Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. I think he spoke like a guy who expects to be the nominee for the party. You see the numbers. There's a good reason why he's probably thinking that way. But I I think he looked as comfortable and as poised and as disciplined as he has in some time during his conversation last night during that town hall on Fox. Yeah, I think Fox did a great town hall last night. Obviously, we're just a few days away from Iowa, then eight more days until New Hampshire. We're going to get closer and closer to ultimately having the nominee. President Trump has been leading the polls. From a party perspective, we were involved in, of course, putting on a fair and transparent primary process, which I think is so important, especially when you contrast us with the Democratic Party, who didn't really do the same for people wanting to run in their party. So we're very proud of what we were able to do as a party. But as we move forward, we're just one step closer to having that nominee. And we've been behind the scenes working very hard to make sure that we're prepared day one to hit the ground running for our nominee, that they have that road to drive on, that they have that infrastructure built, that everything's in place for them to get across that finish line. And we're doing everything we can to make sure that happens, not only for our presidential nominee, but for our Senate and House candidates as well. This is gonna be a critical election year. And once we get to January, it's going to take time to really reverse what the Democrats have done. So this isn't an instant fix, but the first thing we have to do is win. And we're talking to RNC spokeswoman Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert. That's the thing, right? I mean, I, you always hear people like me, hosts and anchors and pundits say this is the most important election of our lifetime. And I usually would agree with that, uh, you know, just kind of like to go along to get along. Like, yeah, this is important, but this one feels different. Uh, This one is a choice between either having the 86-year-old version of Joe Biden, if he is the nominee, in the White House, or a heartbeat away from the presidency, Kamala Harris, or either a Donald Trump or a Nikki Haley or a Ron DeSantis, as far as who represents the GOP side. But people forget also there are other races going on. Like, for instance, the Senate is up for grabs. Obviously, Democrats have a 51-49 advantage in that chamber. But you have Montana, deep red Montana, where a seat can be a Democrat has to defend turf there. You have Ohio, same deal. Democrats have to defend there, which Ohio used to be a purple state. It could go either way. Barack Obama won it twice. Donald Trump won it twice, but he's won it pretty convincingly. And it seems to be more and more a red state. There's a Senate seat up for grabs there. There's a Senate seat up for grabs in West Virginia, which seems like a foregone conclusion now that Joe Manchin is not running. So if Republicans can win those three races. They win back the Senate. That is a very big deal. And obviously the House is the thinnest of margins. So this could be a situation where either Democrats control everything or Republicans control everything. So as you know, GOP spokeswoman, uh, you've got to balance, throw a lot of balls in the air and juggle them at once as far as the, the task at hand and getting a message out. 
Yeah, there's a lot on the line. And I go across the country uh, you know, all the time and I'm talking to people. And the one thing they continue to ask me is, what are we going to do different? How are we going to make sure that we don't see the losses we saw in 2022? Uh, as you know, I was the Republican nominee in Ohio's 13th congressional district yeah. in 2022. So I understand this more personally than almost anybody out there. Uh, and I witnessed across the country targeted top tier races like my own that should have went one way and ended up going another. And so before I even came on board with the RNC, I was on the advisory board uh, with the chairwoman and with the party and looking at what we can do different. And one of those things, of course, is making sure our messaging is right, that we're providing good messaging to our candidates who are interested in uh, using that to reach voters. But of course, where does that messaging go? If you have the perfect message, but it doesn't reach the right voter, it's useless. And so we need to make sure we're targeting voters where they are, not just where we hope they are or think they are. And I talk about this a lot because it's so important. We have to be winning some of these younger voters. How do we do that? We get online. These younger voters aren't watching Fox News or CNN uh, as maybe millennials like myself or older generations were. And then, of course, early vote. It stinks. A lot of people don't like it. I get that. I was never a big proponent of early voting, of seeing the things change that we've seen over even the past 10 years. But the reality is until the states change things, and if they change things in certain states, we have to play the same game the Democrats are playing, and we have to get out and vote early. We save immense amount of resources by chasing a ballot just till that very first day instead of chasing it to Election Day. What I tell people is, if you're a Republican and you vote on day one, we'll spend $5 chasing you. If you wait until the very last day, we'll spend over $30. So when you complain as Republicans about not winning independence in 2022, we could have conserved resources that could have been used to chase independence, that could have been used to chase lower propensity voters, to chase maybe even Democratic voters who are disenfranchised by the Biden administration or by Democratic lawmakers. We have to be able to use those resources, and this is the way we can do it. So we started with uh, our Bank Your Vote initiative last year in 2023. We started early recognizing how important this was going to be. We're now live in all 50 states with websites, uh, not only, of course, asking people to commit to voting early, but also to use these websites as a resource, as a lot of people are still confused as to what's legal in their state. You know, some states have ballot harvesting, some don't. Some states, you can request an absentee ballot months in advance. Some states, you can vote, you know, early six weeks. If you want to know when you can vote and how you can vote in your state, uh, please get on to bankyourvote.com or your state-specific website to do that. I encourage people. Uh, it really will make a big difference in the results this year. And we're talking to RNC spokeswoman Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert. You, you look at that race that, that you ran in 2022, and, I mean, you lost by the, the smallest of margins. I mean, something like 12,000, 13,000 votes. I mean, that, that that is so small. Do you think that if Roe v. Wade was not struck down by the Supreme Court that you win that race? In other words, is, is abortion an issue that will still play a big role in the 2024 campaigns? Because that's basically what Democrats are running on, January 6th and abortion. So I, I just wonder what the message is that you'd like to see out of GOP candidates consistent across the board in terms of a party platform. Is it uh, a 15-week uh, type of window? I, I know Florida had a six-week uh, window pass, for example, as far as uh, the time up until uh, you could get an abortion legally. I, I just wonder if the, the GOP is on the same page as far as sharing a message that voters can say, ah, you know what, that's reasonable. I think when you look across the country, each candidate's going to have a different personal position on the issue, and that's great. And we, you know, respect diversity of our candidates. But at the same time, I don't think that the message in 2022 was where it needed to be. When you saw a lot of 
people in the Republican Party that fought for years and years and years on this issue. And then you see Roe overturned, and it felt like in so many ways a lot of Republicans ran under the table and hid, allowing the Democrats to then define us on the issue of abortion, when in reality we are the party that's on the reasonable side. We are on uh, the compassionate side. We support life. Uh, And you just didn't hear that messaging. And I think it's so important that this year, you know, when necessary or when appropriate to be talking about the issue of abortion, that we're talking about the fact that when you look at even a 15-week ban, for example, uh, you know, that's on the side of the majority of European countries have this. People who have abortion up until the time of birth are places like North Korea and China. We don't want to be on the same side of history as them. So I think the Democrats have really chased Republicans under the table into a corner, and we're not going to allow that to happen. And so we're going to make sure that we're our mayor candidates so they don't have to feel uncomfortable talking about the issue for those who maybe did in the past. Uh, I don't think, though, that it is the number one issue in the 24 election. And I do think the reason that Democrats want to continue to bring that up or to bring up some of these other social issues is because they don't want to talk about the economy. They don't want to talk about the border. They don't want to talk about crime. They don't want to talk about what's going on across the country that's impacting people on the day-to-day or impacting them in their pockets, because the reality is they lose on all of those issues. What I think has been so astounding about this administration specifically is when you look back to any administration in the past 20, 30 years, there's usually one, maybe two issues that people really, really don't resonate with that administration on. They failed on everything. And I think it's really put us in a position as Republicans that you can't take for granted, but a good position to be able to talk about all of these issues and how we and the Republican vision can solve these problems that people are experiencing as a result of what the Democrats have done in the past three years. That's right, Madison. You look at the president's approval on individual issues, real clear politics average. So I'm not cherry picking here. This is an average of polls. He's at 32 percent approval on inflation. That is a number one issue. He is at 32 percent approval on immigration. I believe that's the number two issue when we're talking about the border, obviously, all the fentanyl coming over, all the terrorists that are crossing into this country. And that's just not me speculating. The FBI literally has caught hundreds of people, apprehended them, who are on the FBI terror watch list crossing over the U.S. southern border. You could be looking at another 9-11, and we all see what ha- saw what happened on October 7th in Israel uh, when you don't have secure borders. So I think, yeah, I think it goes one, economy, two, immigration, Crime, obviously, will be a factor. I think education uh, is something that people are more concerned about than the media talks about. I know as a parent, I don't like hearing that we're, we're, we're at, what, a 30-year low as far as ACT test scores uh, in our schools. I mean, that, that is just unacceptable in a country like this that pours so much money and, into And education. we're looking at eighth graders, only 31% in this country being reading proficient. I mean, if <sighs> that's not astounding. Everybody that hears it, I don't know what could. 31% of our eighth graders are reading proficient. It's That's absolutely unacceptable in the United States of America. And a lot of that was due to remote learning where it, it, it kind of the, the two right. tie together. I mean, it, who would think that immigration, the border and education would somehow meld together? But it, you, you see what happened in, in New York and Brooklyn, literally kick kids out of a school so they could put those here illegally. They could house them in a school and force kids to go back to remote learning. I think if this election comes down to painting Democrats as DEI Democrats versus common sense conservatives, and that should be the slogan. I just gave you one. I know probably shouldn't as, as, as a host, but I think common sense conservatism uh, it, it can win the day here. And then finally, obviously, foreign policy. If the world feels mm-hmm. like it's on fire, uh, it is. And we now have to put, you know, low jacks on our cabinet secretaries, apparently, like the secretary of defense, just to know where they are. 
are at all times. It just doesn't seem like adults are back in the room, Madison. I'll give you the final 45 seconds. Uh, make your elevator pitch to me. Why should Republicans win the day in 2024? You hit the nail right on the head. We are the party of common sense solutions. We are the party of eternal optimism. We are the party of a prosperous American vision for the future. We are the party that will save this country for our children and our children's children. Uh, There really is no more important time than now to open your eyes and listen to the Republican message. I don't care if you've never voted Republican before in your life. When you see what's going on, you feel it every single day when you go to the store, when you go to the gas pump, when you pay your electricity bill. Uh, No matter what it is, you're feeling it and seeing it in your communities. You mentioned Brooklyn, New York, another great example of Democrats who put everybody but American and American children first. We have to be putting America first. And I think the Republican vision is the only vision in the country right now that's even close to a common sense America first vision. And that's what we need. Uh, So moving forward, close. Closer and closer to November, I hope that everyone will consider voting Republican because it really will change the trajectory of this nation when we have 80 percent plus of people in many places that believe we're on the wrong track. You have nothing to lose. Madison Jesiato Gilbert, you did that in 44.5 seconds. So that is a professional right there, people. All right. <laughs> and, and, you know, spokesperson, uh, GOP, that's great. But I have a feeling there's a future at Fox for you sometime down the road. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check back in five years and see what's going on. But uh, maybe you'll be in office even by then. So what the hell am I talking about? Anyway, she is the RNC spokesperson. She is Madison Jesiato Gilbert. She will be rooting for the Steelers this weekend as they go into snowy Buffalo. We thank you for joining us, Madison. Thanks, Joe. Good to be with you. All right. You too. And we'll be back with more Fox Across America. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon in just a moment. You're riding around with America's cabbie. Taxi! Taxi! You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Your husband is 81. At the end of a second term, he'd be 86. As his life partner of 46 years, is there a part of you that is worried about his age and health? Can he do it? He can do it. And I see Joe every day. I see him out, you know, traveling around this country. I see his vigor. I see his energy. I see his passion every single day. Mm. So to those who say, I can't vote for Joe Biden, he's too old. What do you say? I say his age is an asset. Uh-huh. He's wise. Yes, he's wise. He has wisdom. He has experience. He knows every leader on the world stage. You got to love how Mika just finishes Jill Biden's sentences for her. It's, it's, it's really special to see. You know what's funny about this, and welcome back to the show, Joe Concha and for Jimmy Fail. It's Fox Across America, is that Jill Biden's on Morning Joe this morning talking about Let's see it again here. I see him out, you know, traveling the country. I see his vigor. I see his energy. I see his passion every single day. So why is Jill Biden up early today talking to Joe and Mika? And where was the president? Why couldn't he do this interview and make his own case for himself? And before you say, oh, well, maybe he was busy. Maybe he had some meetings. Maybe he was traveling and campaigning. If you look at this president's schedule... Over the past three days, it is horrifying that this man is actually leading this country. Over the last three days, he's had one meeting on his public schedule, and that meeting was lunch with Kamala Harris. I am not making this up. He gets the daily briefing two days ago at 3.45 in the afternoon. What, do terrorists sleep in on Tuesdays? Is that how this works? 
And the fact that with everything going on in the world, that he doesn't have anything on his schedule for three days after he just spent three weeks on vacation, either at Camp David or at St. Croix, this should be unacceptable. Republicans, I don't care if it's DeSantis, Haley, Trump, anybody running for Senate or Congress seat, you point, you should be pointing to his schedule every day, sharing it on your social media feed and saying, this is the guy who says he's going to save democracy, and apparently he's going to do it by taking four-day weekends in indefinitely. So Jill Biden can talk about this all they want, and obviously going on Morning Joe, she's going to get a rhetorical foot rub, and boy, she certainly did there. But this is where we are at at this point, where we just have a guy who does not work. And maybe that's because he can't work. There's something more to this. I'm sorry. Everybody's back to work. They went back to work last week. If they took off last week also because New Year's extended into the week a little bit, fine. But here we are. Everybody else is working hard in this country. Some have to work two, three jobs just to keep up with inflation, the fact that they're drowning in credit card debt and all the interest that goes along with that. And here we have a president who does not work. In January, he isn't away anywhere. He isn't even campaigning. It's an election year. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nothing on his schedule. Daily briefs at 11.30 or 3.30? What the hell is going on? And the Secretary of Defense, he doesn't know where he is. You know why he doesn't know where he is? Because Joe Biden has not had a cabinet meeting with his cabinet since October. With everything going on in the Middle East, we're not even meeting with the Defense Secretary on any regular basis to the point where we don't even know where he is? All right. The anger is up. That was not an act, by the way. That was not a Pat McAfee thing I just did. That, that was real passion right there, baby. I'm authentic. I'm from Jersey. What can I say? Joe Concha, in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. Back with more in a moment. And welcome back to Fox Across America. Joe Concha, in for Jimmy Fallon. Let's bring in the host, anchor, and correspondent. It's like the Swiss Army knife of Fox News. This is, of course, Todd Pyro. Most known for being the co-anchor of Fox and Friends First, which is a very successful show. I am privy to the numbers, and they are impressive for a show that's on at 2 o'clock in the morning if you're in Los Angeles or San Francisco. A lot of people tune in, and i got to say, a lot of people in this country, at least my friends, like to work out, apparently, in gyms at 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, because they keep saying, oh, I see you on Fox and Friends First all the time, to which I reply, what the hell are you doing up at that hour? And they say, well, you know, it's the best time to work out before the kids get up. All right, well, there you go. So Todd and, of course, the great Carly Shimpkis have something really good going there. Todd, will this be your forever job, or do you have higher aspirations in not getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning? When do, when do you get up? Well, well, first of all, before we get into all that, yes. I do want to make the point, I ask people the same question that – when they tell me, oh, we love watching you. I'm like, why are you up at 5 a.m.? I did not come from people who got up at 5 a.m. My dad was a lawyer, and I remember every time I had to be at jazz band at 7.30 because, you know, I was in jazz band. It was like I gave him a death diagnosis. They're like, oh. <laughs> you know, it was weird because he was a lawyer. Sometimes he would need to be at court at like 8.39. But generally, if he didn't have to be at court, he'd roll into the office at 9.30 and and that was that. Um, so, so that's the first part. The second part is, have you looked at the numbers? When do we do really well? On Wednesday. And who shows up on Wednesday? One Joseph. I don't know your middle name. Concha. William. So there you have it. Can I tell you? I was named after Joe Namath, which really? is an odd thing. Yeah. Uh, who was like a drunken, womanizing gambler at the time, right? This, this at the, the time? <laughs> Well, I think the drunken part is, is I think he's relieved himself of those duties. But Susie, I love you. I want to kiss you. You know, Drugs that was 20 years ago. Yeah, that was. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Joe Willie Concha. You know, the formal part of it's Joseph William Concha. My, my parents apparently, I was conceived uh, during a Rod Stewart concert God. at Chase Stadium. So afterwards, much so detail. Yeah, um, too much. Hopefully, Dad isn't listening. Let me answer the the main question that you asked. I don't know. Joe, you know, I told the bosses in my interview for this place back in 2017 that I wanted to be a lifer here. And I, I still stand by that. Uh, you know, I understand the business is changing, but I think that I uh, I am a little bit of a Swiss Army knife here. And I think I, I, I scratch a lot of itches now, uh, whether that means they'll let me stay. I, I don't know, but I'd love to I'd love to finish out the run here. And I think it's a great place. They, they treat me well. I have a lot of friends more so than any other workplace that I've ever been. And so, yeah, I, I'd like to stay here and, and hopefully it'll work out. I'll, I'll tell you, Todd, and we're talking to Todd Pyro. He is, of course, the co-anchor of Fox and Friends First. I used to go on, and this isn't too long ago. We're talking maybe eight years ago. Believe it or not, I would show up on MSNBC sometimes. <gasps> I know. Or CNN, often, quite frankly. Desgraciad. <laughs> they were different networks then. You know, I mean, remember, MSNBC used to have shows by, like, Michael Savage and Jesse Ventura, and I could go, like, down the line. Like, it wasn't just this complete liberal bastion. They actually tried to have some semblance of balance. Uh, and then Keith Oberman basically took over the network, but that's a story for another time. But I would go on CNN with, like, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. I was on with Erin Burnett probably the most, and she's still there. And I think she's actually one of the normal ones over at CNN. But, but the point is, when I would hang out in green rooms or just talk to people there, I got to say, they they acted so self-important like they were very very serious journalists and they couldn't have any fun and i think what separates fox from other networks besides actually doing objective news and offering up different opinions instead of one side completely uh, is the fact that people don't take themselves very seriously in this building i don't think and we like to have fun and if you were to go to a happy hour with you know a network i would think fox would be more jersey shore than hamptons does that make sense a hundred and ten percent and I think that's what makes us do so well is that we are relatable because the way we are off camera is the way we are on camera. And that is one of those things, if I've learned anything in this business, that you just can't fake. Fortunately, you and I, both Jersey guys, that is I- intrinsic within Jersey people. They are the way they are 24-7, for better or for worse. And Chris Christie got himself in trouble with that yesterday by being in uh, open mouth during an, an, an open mic. And uh, he, he heard Nikki Haley's chances in the prospect. But um, getting back to the overall point, I will see you being at MSNBC, and I will raise you. Did you know, Joe, and I think you do, but maybe not, that I used to be a fill-in anchor at MSNBC prior to the 2016 election. Really? And, and it was almost like they had a premonition that I would end up going to Fox because as soon as Trump won, my fill-ins – and granted, I, I wasn't filling in for Brian Williams. I was filling in on the overnights, which basically means you sit in a room and wait for something to happen. Yep. And then if they need you to host a show on Saturday morning, you host said show on Saturday morning or Sunday morning at like 8 a.m. So I did that, and those things immediately dried up as soon as Trump won. Isn't that interesting? That's and, amazing. And, and, but I will say, like, it, was, it wasn't what it is now. Like, I delivered the news. I delivered headlines. I would ask Republican and Democratic strategists questions about the elections. Who do you think is going to win and why? These aren't uh, partisan-loaded questions. They were fact-based questions. Um, and I think I have seen over the course of time that um, my questioning ability and my ability and me, let's just say, would not be welcome at the MSNBC uh, at this stage. Oh, well, you look at who their anchors are on big nights like ele- election nights or debate nights. And 
There isn't, in other words, when Fox does an election night or a debate night, you'll see Brett Baer or Martha McCallum or Bill Hemmer, news people, Shannon Bream, right? You don't see over there uh, any news people anymore, right? I mean, they used to have Tim Russert at one point. They used to have Brian Williams. Uh, and, and now they have Rachel Maddow and Joy Reid and Nicole Wallace as your co-anchors for these nights. So, yeah, I think that's the problem, that they've abandoned news altogether. And they've just been opinion, and they're all the same opinion, and, and that's why they trail. But I, I, I want to get off this topic because I have to get to something more important, Todd. And that is your NFL picks. For this weekend's wild card weekend, which keeps getting bigger and bigger to the point where we even have a Monday night game now. I think they started that last year, but I'll go one by one. You tell me. Cleveland at Houston. The Texans hosting the Browns. Joe Flacco, who is 145 years old, versus C.J. Stroud, who I think is still getting double-proofed at this point to get into bars. Who wins that? Cleveland by two and a half is your Fox spread. I just feel like I don't know, so go with the home team. (laughs) That's smart. Houston, Houston, I, I, that one's a toss-up to me. Okay, I, I'm taking the Browns, and if uh, our uh, crack-producing team can keep track of this, I, I will Wait, go Wait, you the just air. called them on crack? Uh, what? Well, no, no, no. Remember that's, that? That's Remember a that question a for Hunter Biden yesterday. <laughs> which crack do you prefer, I believe, one reporter asked, which was magical. Uh, all right, next we go to. Now, here, earlier in the week, I actually picked the Dolphins to go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs, because I think the Chiefs are shot, right? They're, they're, they lost Tyreek Hill. They don't have that dynamic offense anymore. Kelsey seems either distracted or something, but he's not the Travis Kelsey that's made him, you know, arguably the greatest tight end of all time. And plus a tight end's not going to exactly carry your offense completely. You need receivers that can actually catch the ball, which seems to be a problem for the Chiefs. But now that I see that the temperature is going to be minus three degrees at kickoff, and I'm not exaggerating on that number, maybe I do have to go with the Chiefs because the Dolphins, I can't remember ever winning a big game in cold weather, at least not since they went into Dallas and beat the Cowboys on a botched field goal. And Leon Lett tried to pick up the ball. I don't know if you remember that. Of course. Yeah, yeah, this is 93. So yeah, if I have to go back 30 years to find the last time the Dolphins have actually won in something resembling cold, and that's Texas cold. It ain't Kansas City cold. That's different. So uh, who do you got here? It, it looks like Kansas City. Fox bet has a minus four and a half. Yeah, I agree. Kansas City is the pick here. I'm going to add, in addition to the cold, look at Miami's defense. They just signed like 18 defensive players off the street who haven't played this year just because they need to overcome injuries. That is not a good look going into Kansas City. And you look at the teams that have been able to beat Kansas City, it's because of defense. It's not necessarily because their offense is blowing up the Kansas City's defense. So if you don't have a defense, I understand Pat Mahomes is having an off year, and that could be because his receivers may be certifiable morons. It seems like they're always running the wrong route. Um, But I I just don't think you combine the newness of the defense. You never want to have your first game play together, be the first game of the playoffs. Combine that with the fact that it is going to be cold. And, uh, you know, Tua is not from the North Pole. He's from Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, that is not a good look for the Dolphins. So uh, Chiefs in that one. I'm with you on the Chiefs. And I'm going to throw out an Al Michaels-ism. Uh, I think the game will be underwhelming. Under. Ooh, I disagree yes. with you there. I think that's going to be the game of the day. Yeah, I agree. Like 14-10 kind of game. That, that, that's true. Then we go to Sunday. We have a 1 o'clock game. The Bills also, this will be in a snowstorm, uh, hosting the Steelers, who are uh, without Mr. Watt, who basically runs that defense and makes it go. Uh, I think the record is something like 1-10 without him. Uh, so I, I guess I'm basically previewing who I'm taking here. But the Bills are hot right now. They're at home. The Steelers were fortunate to make the playoffs. Uh, Mike Tomlin's a nice coach, but I, I just don't see the, the weapons being there. I have Buffalo, and I will lay the 10 points here, Todd. Yeah, this is the only lock I have. Bill's in this one. So, of course, based upon that, put your money on the Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right. 
Uh, too funny. All right. Uh, game of the day. Uh, I, well, maybe not the game of the day if you look at the 8 o'clock game, but we'll do the 4.30 first, 4.30 Eastern time, of course. The Cowboys hosting the Packers. Cowboys are a night and day team. When they're at home, you can't beat them. They're 8 no On the road, eh, not so good. Packers have been playing well lately. Jordan loves first playoff game. I Cowboys minus 7.5. I'm going to take the Packers here. I don't think they win the game, but I do think they keep it close, so I'll take the Packers and the points, Todd. I, I'm taking the Cowboys. I, I think the Cowboys... I'm not a fan, obviously, being a Giants fan. Oh, yeah. But I just think that they are actually okay this year. And I think Dak is actually okay this year. I think he gets a lot of scrutiny when he makes mistakes, more so than any other quarterback in the league. He's playing a position against other players who are paid. So he's not going to go 50 for 50 for 800 yards and 20 (laughs) touchdowns a game. And I think to a certain degree, that's the standard there in Dallas. And I think the fans are the ones that that demand that and and make it really, really tough for anybody to follow Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. That said, I I think he's not having a bad year. He's not a bad player, and he's got C.D. Lamb. And when you have C.D. Lamb, boy, that solves a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. No, they, they, they look excellent. And Green Bay, nice story, making the playoffs. But, yeah, Dallas, I just can see it being eh, 31-24 type of game. So I'm going to take the, uh, the half point on top of that touchdown there. And we'll move quickly through the next two. Lions hosting the Rams. Boy, I mean, talk about a coin toss here. And it's the Stafford Bowl, basically, because these two quarterbacks were exchanged for each other. Uh, Stafford goes to the Rams, of course, wins the Super Bowl. Uh, Jeff Goff has played very, very well for, for the Lions, obviously much younger. So Detroit minus three, who you got? Lions. I, I, the Rams could not finish against the Giants. The Giants are the Giants. Uh, Lions are a pretty good team. Lions got hosed against the Cowboys. Lions. Yeah, I think that crowd carries them uh, in that game. So I'm going to take the Lions as well. And finally, the Bucks. Once again, winning that horrible NFC South with a 9-8 record, host the Eagles, who are just talk about backing into the playoffs. I mean, this team just does, it looks like a shell of itself from last year. So I'm actually going with the Bucks here. I'll take the three points gladly. I, I think the Eagles are shot. I think this is the game where the Eagles turn it around. As much as I hate to say that, and it makes me sick, and I'll be rooting hardcore for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, I think this is the one where the Eagles say, okay, now it's time to play football. All right. We got our picks. Our producers have tracked them. On Monday when I joined Fox and Friends first, uh, I will make a quick reference to this. If I win, if I don't, uh, it's like it never happened. <laughs> like so, it never uh, happened. I, I think that's a good plan, Todd. But, but thanks for joining us today. Always a fun segment. And you are the Swiss Army knife of Fox News, and we appreciate you joining on short notice. My pleasure, sir. All right. Todd Pyro. And we'll be back with Fox Across America, Jimmy Fallon, Joe Concha filling in in just a moment. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Joe Conchin for Jimmy Fallon. All right. Let's bring in our special, special guest. That would be uh, our crack producing team here. Uh, let's see. Who we got? Mike and Josh? That's us. Okay. Excellent. So, guys, Bill Belichick out after 24 years with the New England Patriots. Let me ask you this, and we'll do a lightning round since we don't have a lot of time. Will Belichick be remembered the way Phil Jackson is remembered? In other words, all those championships, but people always have the but. But Phil had Michael and Scotty. Phil had Kobe and Shaq. 
is Belichick more about Brady and without Brady he couldn't win or will he go down as one of the great coaches of all time? I mean, it you know you could go a step further and go, does he go and further tarnish his legacy and become the GM of, say, the Knicks and just have a horrible output? You know, because that, <laughs> that'll point. really tarnish it then. Yeah, excellent point. What do you got? Yeah, uh, I don't know, Joe. It's going to be interesting. I really also think it depends on what he does next. Like if he goes to, let's say, the Chargers or something and is able to somehow win a Super Bowl with that team, which, you know, that franchise forever has been known as just like, you know, one of the worst <laughs> worst luck teams I think you've seen in professional sports. So that would be something if he did that. But I don't know. I mean, if he goes to, like, Atlanta or something, like, do you really see him win a Super Bowl there? Because I don't. Probably not. Those are two cursed teams you just named, the Falcons and the Chargers. Uh, yeah, I, I look, if he goes to another team and wins, then – all bets are off. He is one of the great coaches of all time. He didn't need Brady. Just like when Brady left and his first year with the Bucks wins them a Super Bowl, uh, that cemented Brady as far as being like, wow, greatest of all time. It's no question about it. Obviously, seven rings will do that. Now, we hear on WFAN here in New York yesterday that Brian Dable may be interested in going to the Alabama Crimson Tide, which is quite the job. I'm sure it pays very, very well. You always have the horses coming in. It's a tough conference, yeah, but hey, Nick Saban won six championships there in 12 years or something insane. So if Gable were to leave, and this is highly speculative at this point, Bill Belichick could end up with the New York Giants. That kind of makes sense to me. That would be a a heck of a rotation. I, I just hope that, you know, if Dable does leave, he doesn't pull what Saban did with the Dolphins. No, I'm here. I'm the head coach of the Dolphins. I'm staying here no matter what. Oh, by the way, I'm going to coach Alabama. As long as he doesn't do that, you know, I, th- I think it'll be okay. But quite frankly, I mean, you know, right, you are what your record says you are, 14 and 18 with the Giants. So, you know what? Uh, okay, go ahead. Go coach Alabama. That's fine. Yeah, we'd have to take a job like that, I feel like, for him to leave because the New York Giants is a great head coaching gig. It's one of the blue-collar NFL jobs. but. Oh, yeah. I guess you could say now another one's opened up in New England, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer Mike Tomlin with the Steelers is going to be. I don't think he's, you know, going to be fired or anything, but what if he wants to walk away, you know? No one leaves the Steelers. I think they've had, what, three head coaches? It's been three coaches since, like, 69. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's insane. Uh, And and finally, and I know we didn't discuss this before and as a possible topic, but I I just can't get over it because I'm seeing social media blow up over it. Aaron Rodgers no longer going to be on Pat McAfee's show because he made a joke about Jimmy Kimmel being on the Epstein list, and Kimmel then threatens to sue. Kimmel, a guy who slanders people on a nightly basis with lies, uh, Trump P-tape that, that he pushed for a good two years, uh, presented it as fact. I, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that Disney, which owns ESPN, forced this to happen because if Rogers went on there and was talking about how great the COVID vaccine was and, and urging everybody to get it and to buy Pfizer stock, I have a feeling he'd still be on that show today. I, yeah, I think so. But one of the things I would say, Joe, is like I am a giant fan, so I don't care as much about Rogers, but he has gotten to be a bit of a distraction, I feel like, for that franchise. And overall, it just feels like, you know, he's, you know, making his appearances every week. It's great. You know, it's great for the McAfee show. But at the same time, like, isn't he like the Kyrie Irving of the NFL? That's, you know, who he's been compared to a lot. And as a diehard Net fan, I know exactly uh, how that went with Kyrie Irving. Uh, so Let's refresh everybody's memory here, by the way. I, I wrote about Kyrie in my book, a small part of the chapter anyway. Kyrie Irving um, refused to get the vaccine, so the NBA said he couldn't play 
in home games for the Brooklyn Nets, and you would see him sitting literally like front row, chest bumping his teammates. Like you know, he couldn't play, right? But he can sit next to people and eighteen thousand people in a crowd because he wasn't vaccinated. He's like Djokovic, right? Yeah, Djokovic and visiting play players couldn't uh, unvaccinated visitor players play or something? Yes, like that. Yeah, so. it was it was like a New York thing. Yeah. So it's like when Djokovic wasn't allowed to play in the U.S. Open. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even though he had COVID twice and he had complete natural immunity, it's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. Anyway, I think we have to wrap it there, guys. I think we're out of time. But uh, always great to have a conversation with Mike and Josh. So uh, thanks to all of our guests, and they are too long to mention, but uh, Tudor Dixon and Madison Jesse Otto Gilbert and Todd Pyro and, and a band of others. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully I'll be back in this chair sometime soon. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon, Joe Concha saying bye-bye. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.